You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Asalaamu Alaikum. Peace be upon all our, all our listeners, and welcome again to another breakfast show. You are joined by myself, Tukir Ahmed Tanvir, and Brother Walid here in the studio of uh, Voice of Islam. And uh, we have a great packed show for our listeners today. Um, we're going to be discussing the topic of social isolation and loneliness linked to increased uh, risk of all cause of mo- uh, mortality. Uh, that's one of the topics that we'll be discussing. And uh, we have a few callers, a few guests who will be coming on and uh, speaking on this particular topic. For example, we'll be listening to Leslie uh, Carter. She'll be uh, coming on the show. Also, Olivia Field will also be joining. Um, Leslie Carter, she is from Age UK, so we'll be listening to her. And Olivia Field, uh, she is from the British Red Cross. We'll be listening to her take on this as well. And lastly, we'll be sis- listening to Brother Atikur Rahman, who is a spokesman of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association. Uh, so we'll be listening to him. So that is the first topic that we'll be discussing from 7.30 to 8.15, possibly could even go over. Um, and then uh, we will be discussing the topic of how to be happy habits for a happier life. A very important topic and I guess a question which a lot of us uh, ask ourselves really, are we truly happy? Are we truly content? And uh, this is a a great topic and I, I think personally a, a topic that I do like to discuss as well from a religious point of view as well. Um, uh, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll go more into detail of it Um and uh, for this, we'll also be uh, joined by our guest, uh, Reverend Deborah, who is Reverend of St. Mary's Church in New Adelton, South London. So we'll, we'll be listening to uh, Reverend Deborah, Deborah Foreman. She, uh, she is a great a, a contributor, regular contributor to the Voice of Islam radio station. So we'll be listening to her as well. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll also be uh, looking at the Islamic perspective on this particular topic. And uh, that is the lineup for our listeners. And as you know, the agenda of the show, these, we go through the main news. And for the first half an hour to 20 minutes of the show, we like to run down with some of the news which is happening with regards to the empty Muslim community. So I'll, I'll start off um, with the weather today. The, the forecast today um, today will be uh, will start rather cloudy but will escape mainly dry in the morning and early afternoon and later showers will develop in from the west and could be thundery and heavy in places and the forecast for tonight tonight we'll see um, any lingering showers easing away turning largely dry with lengthy spells overnight patchy cloud and isolated showers could drift in by dawn uh, so that is the weather forecast for our listeners do make sure you know that you do uh, have maybe an umbrella with you i mean there are possible chances of rain as well so uh, do take care uh, for that uh, so 
you know that is that is the uh, weather forecast um one particular item uh, item which is of discussion is the bbc presenter and the um, armchair detective so what is all this about um you can read more on this uh, on alhakam.org uh, great article written here so a little gist of the story is that the bbc presenter who has recently he's dominated the headlines due to his involvement in paying a teen for sexually explicit photographs has now been named and although his identity was concealed uh, whilst the investigation was underway social media and gossip-filled news outlets immediately they sprang to life and were rife with speculation and the natural infuriation of uh, public isn't much of a surprise especially after the similar stories of Jimmy uh, Savile and Philip uh, Schofield and this said that the open and free for free for all social media trial resulted in a number of well-known presenters being wrongfully blamed and accused in the process causing them to face severe backlash so was it really a good idea to play the game blame game uh, and go investigating even though the police and authorities weren't involved a myriad of tweets began to emerge over the weekend attempting to guess the name of the presenter and in a straw poll carried out by the daily mail 49 out of 229 people approached in town and cities around the country correctly identified the presenter meaning that over 80% had guessed wrongly so you know even betting shops openly offered uh, odds uh, on who the man was and Piers Morgan highlighted how presenters like Gray uh, Gray Gary Lenica um you know Ryland Clark Jeremy Vine have all been disgracefully smeared and defamed by armchair detectives who don't understand the devastating impact it has and uh, Jeremy Vine one of BBC's highest profile presenter and among the wrongfully accused publicly appealed for the man to come forward himself to put an end to all the detrimental speculation and there is no doubt that the action actions of the individuals were categorically wrong however the point is that instead of suddenly becoming armchair detectives and uh, you know speculating and blaming the falsely accused whilst the investigation was underway it would have been better for people to leave the investigation to the rightful authorities uh and uh, there's an islamic take on this as well uh, which is to avoid suspicion and spy spying and slander a this is a quranic teaching and as muslims we believe that the holy quran can be turned to for guidance in every single situation no matter how contemporary an issue may seem a quranic solution can always be found and in the past couple of days many innocent people have been wrongfully accused creating a shadow of negativity around them and causing the public to think ill of them and consequently they had to issue public statements denying all the false accusations and if we look at the holy quran if we turn to chapter 9 verse 13 of the holy quran um allah the almighty he is saying here to avoid all this in society and it teaches us and i quote that 
in the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, that avoid most of suspicions. For suspicion in, in some cases is a sin. So we are instructed to not spy nor to backbite one another. And isn't this exactly what we have witnessed in the last few days? In, in the commentary, it has explained that, the, that this verse contains some of those social evils which cause disorder, uh, dissensions and differences and, and cacord and corrupt and contaminate a society and the, that Muslims have been enjoined to be on guard against them at all times. And it continues to state that by removing the basic causes of disharmony and disagreement, the verse has laid the foundation of a firm, solid brotherhood. By eliminating such vices, a harmonious society can be established. Um, and uh, you know, believers are also uh, told that they should shun all uh, that which is vain um, you know by heavily discussing such scandals be it online or with our peers we have a vital role to role in further spreading such immorality and indecency and this is detrimental to society and the Holy Quran teaches us that a key characteristic of true and righteous believers is that they shun all that is vain so all such pursuits which uh, which are of no use and you know there is no no benefit to it um they are vain um the holy quran says that we should shun all such um pursuits and even the second caliph of the um, the muslim community hazrat mirza bashiruddin mahmud ahmed uh, may allah the almighty be pleased with him in his five volume commentary he states that the second stage in the spiritual journey of man's consists of the avoidance of all vain talk and thoughts. And a true believer shuns all vain and useless pursuits, which are which a true believer shuns all and vain and useless pursuits, which are incapable of doing any good either to his own person or to his community or country. So in a nutshell, um, you know, the Holy Quran, it lays key aspects that, you know, if we follow this, uh, we'll be staying away from these ills or these vices of the society. One being that, uh, you know, we shouldn't speculate um, over everything. I mean, it's, it's normal to maybe sometimes, you know, let your mind think as to what it would be. But the Holy Quran says that, you know, you shouldn't speculate. And here in this issue, um, what's happened is that everyone has started speculating. And not only that, they've started guessing that it could be this person, it could be that person. And the Holy Quran says that, you know, you should leave that to the authorities and you shouldn't speculate on that. And secondly, uh, the Holy Quran being very clear and adamant that we should shun all vain pursuits. So, you know, something which is vain, uh, such as in this scenario, uh, you know, shouldn't be pursued. Um, so that is that is one uh, particular topic which is of uh, important discussion. Um, with the regards to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, as you know, the uh, we have our 
annual um, convention which is taking place and this is going to be taking place over in this in this month um, the so we'll be taking taking towards the end of the month towards uh, i believe uh, 28th 29th and 30th um, of of July so just a little brief introduction on uh, the annual convention is that uh, this is held every year and it's called Jalsaslana UK and this is a religious gathering held in the United Kingdom each year for the purpose of uniting and inspiring people of all faiths and we focus on topics of peace, benevolence and religious harmony and the convention it provides a tranquil space for reflection and exploration of Islamic principles and participants can gain insight from thought-provoking religious discourses and engage in meditative prayers alongside thousands of others regardless of your faith background join us in in the in the bracing um, spiritual enrichment and peace uh, offered by this event this so this unique 3-day event it brings together more than 38,000 participants from as many as 115 countries to increase religious knowledge and promote peace and parliamentarians diplomats religious leaders and professionals from across the world and from all walks of life address the gathering and the purpose of which is to foster unity between humanity and with our creator and a special feature of this conference is that it is blessed by the presence of his holiness azamazam sura mad may allah strengthen his hand um, the head worldwide and the uh, muslim community he addresses the conference on each of the three days providing invaluable insights into the application of religious teachings to our spiritual moral and material well-being and one thing to also import note about the annual convention is that you'll see from from be it water supplies to the parking uh, to the food uh, all volunteers get together and uh, you know they they make this happen um, and this is something you know which is very moving that you see how much the community gets involved um and as i suppose that is that's what it's about really at the same time you know to um such community community events where everyone gets together uh, regardless you know if you're getting paid or not it's it's about it's really about that spiritual journey and here when you do attend this annual convention this something which you'll notice that there's a great buzz a great vibe vibe throughout the whole uh, jalsa um myself you know I work I was serving in the parking um parking duty last last year in uh, when it was really hot uh, you know standing throughout the day uh, but you know it was it was all good fun um I had uh, brothers there was a lot of us uh in that one spot just making sure the traffic flow is going um and you know we really enjoyed it I you know you, you increase your in brotherhood as well and uh, you know these are some key skills that you learn from from one another as well um so this year as well uh before the before before the days before the actual convention starts as well uh, i mean it started now actually uh, 
volunteers have gone as well. The 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 whole setup is in place, um, and uh, you know this is something which uh, which I'll be involved this year as well with the setup. Um, there will be you know members there who will be doing you know tasks such as the in terms of the electricity like you know, litter picking and anything really rolling the carpets um so you know make sure you do uh, uh tune in uh, as well um you know we'll be posting content online as well so do stay tuned um uh, for that uh yeah so that that, that is that is um some of the some of the highlights with regards to the jalsa as well um another particular uh, thing i wanted to mention is that um please do benefit from uh, the you know the uh, articles which are uploaded with regards to the wakfano uh, scheme as i've mentioned many times as well that uh, you know the these individuals are who have uh parents have dedicated them for the service of their faith so uh, this is the department where i currently serve under so uh for this we do have our quarterly magazines as well and recently just yesterday they were published online as well so do uh benefit from that as well you can go on our website on uh, wakfenointel.org and you can read all uh, articles over there of how youngsters are serving in uh various fields uh you know if they're doctors if they're um you know into media in various fields they they share their ex- uh, expertise and their experience how important it is to serve within the community and uh, that that's that's what it, you know that, as i was mentioning earlier as well it's you know it's it's a bigger purpose you know that we you know you where people are trying to achieve it you know allah the almighty he says that uh, you know that if you follow his path if you serve in his cause then allah the almighty will bless you and uh, you know as the annual convention is coming as well you'll see individuals who will be serving and their whole purpose would be that you know they want to attain that nearness of allah the almighty um rather than a normal uh, maybe Nine to five job where they are focusing on uh, just com- accumulating wealth. They, you know, they they feel it as an honor to you know to serve um, within the community um, and attain that nearness to Allah the Almighty as well. So as I was mentioning, do follow our our feeds as well. Uh, we will be posting online as well various clips pictures so do stay tuned for that as well uh brother valid uh in any other news uh, you wanted to discuss with our listeners uh assalamu alaikum yes sir of course um, i hope your teeth are in good order because there's a shortage of dentists apparently um and um, following a bbc investigation there was a um a review launched um and uh, the review found that 9 in 10 nhs dentists um NHS practices in fact across the UK were not ex- accepting new adult patients and some people drove uh, hundreds of miles for treatment or even resorted to pulling out their own teeth uh, it was found uh, the government says it um, invests more than 3 billion uh, pounds a year in dentistry but the damning report uh, by the commons health and social care committee says uh, that this is not enough 
uh, and more needs to be done and, and quickly. So we're hoping that uh, something can be uh, found uh, to resolve this situation and uh, it can be done uh, very soon. Um, as far as international news is concerned, there was the NATO summit. Uh, this is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Uh, it took place on the 11th and 12th this week uh, in Vilnius, uh, Lithuania, uh, where all 30 of his members were represented in, in addition to the president of Ukraine. And one of the main items on the agenda was Ukraine's admission into the organization, much to the ire of and anger, should I say, of, of President Zelensky. Uh, a firm roadmap to its accession into the uh, club was not provided. Instead, the communique released from the summit only promised to allow it to join uh, when it has completed unspecified democratic and security sector reforms. And now that's a condition that was demanded in particular by the United States. So contrary to Ukrainian expectations, there was no timeline by which Ukraine could join, nor a list of conditions it would have to meet, nor even an invitation to join uh, at an unspecified future date once the war with Russia is over. This led uh, Mr. Zelensky to complain, it's unprecedented and absurd, this is his quote, it's unprecedented and absurd when a time frame is not uh, set either for the invitation or for Ukraine's membership. Uncertainty is weakness, he added. Uh, realistically, uh, immediate uh, immediate joining of NATO was out of the question, as the treaty's mutual defense clause would mean that um, Russia would be at war with all the countries of NATO. Uh, and this was something that uh, US uh, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan was trying to explain. Uh, now, this kind of... Um, uh, attitude betrays the clear intention of NATO countries led by the U.S. to support the uh, Ukrainians from afar and provide them with weapons but not actively participate in the war themselves. And President Zelensky's disappointment was noted by certain quarters and showed the tiny cracks that seem to be appearing both within NATO and between NATO and Kiev. Uh, whether we like it or not, this is something that defense uh, uh, Secretary Ben Wallace, our Defence Secretary, he said that whether we like it or not, people want to see a bit of gratitude uh, pointing to the way that um, Ukraine was behaving and said that uh, being uh, uh, that, uh, you know, we're not Amazon. This is in response to what he seems to be experiences with uh, Ukraine and Ukrainian officials whenever he went to the country uh, and uh, was provided with uh, lists of what they wanted in terms of weapons. Um, so uh, this strategy of, of support only from afar betrays the underlying intention of the West, which some of the U.S.'s own critics like to see Gabbard say, is to promote the war in which arms manufacturers uh, can have a field day, which in turn enables um, uh, some uh, to turn some of the profits to fund the campaigns of congressmen in exchange for voting uh, to continue the conflict. This is one reason it is suggested that the U.S. is opposed to Ukraine entering into any peace talks. Plans by both the African nations and uh, uh, the Chinese are on the table, but the West is willing Ukraine not to pursue it. Uh, some believe that the conflict has been aided and abetted by Western interests deliberately, and a conflict that could easily be avoided. 
uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., the Democratic aspirant for the office of presidency of the U.S., has pointed to the deliberate flouting of Russia's security concerns by the West as underlying uh, reasons for the conflict. Uh, to allow Ukraine to join NATO and have nuclear missiles potentially positions on Russia's doorstep could not be countenanced by the nuclear superpower no more than the U.S. would allow such an arsenal to be positioned in Mexico or Cuba at its doorstep. There was a conscious effort to provoke this conflict, they say, people like Robert Kennedy say, and to diminish Russian power, which could easily have been avoided. No wonder that even people like Donald Trump, some say, can see through this and are claiming that they could end the conflict within 24 hours if re-elected. Many would not be surprised if he was right, at least on this point. Um, uh, Imam um I was uh, talking to my son yesterday, and mm. we know that you like football, and uh, we were quite um, intrigued by the number of players that are um, going off to Saudi Arabia for, mm. for their football. Um, and we wonder how many more will uh, will uh, will go. Mm. Uh, he gave me a list of Ruben Nevers. Are you know, familiar with Ruben Nevers? No. He was a Manchester City player, um, and he then went to another club. Karim Benzema, you must have been. Okay. Yes, he's yeah. gone to Saudi Arabia. Uh, Roberto Firmino is the uh, he's um, Liverpool uh, star. Kulabali. Uh, uh, Angolo Kante. Uh, mm, mm. yeah, you're familiar with him? <laughs> so, these are all going to Saudi Arabia. Uh, so do you think that um, there will be another major league that's going to be starting in that part of the world? Uh, you know, it looks like it really, um, uh, especially some of the, you know, the names that you've mentioned, they are mm. all very big players. Um, I forgot Ronaldo. <laughs> Ronaldo <laughs> as well, so... Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's good anyway because, to be to be fair, the, um, the the league there in Middle East has never been highlighted, and only recently after the transfer of Cristiano Ronaldo as well mm. to um, to one of the clubs there, um, there's something where you know a lot of his games are highlighted now as well on YouTube as well. Fans are uh, sharing. Um, a lot, so uh, it's. It, I think it's it's very good business as well for mm. uh, Saudi Arabia as well, and uh, I guess and for the players and and for Huge the players. Sum. But uh, but at the same time, I think for the general public as well, it does sort of draw the attention of the Islamic culture or the Muslim culture towards Saudi Arabia as well. Um, as I as you you remember when the World Cup happened as well, mm. um, a lot of the locals they they had shared videos and tweets about the hospitality of the Muslims there as well in, in Qatar and this is all in line with the Islamic teaching as well that uh, uh, you know the Holy Prophet peace be upon him also was very generous he would give to the poor um, and you know the vulnerable people of the society and generally he was very caring to his companions as well uh, especially during the uh, month of Ramadan he would increase in his charitable work as well. So that generosity that people saw, this was all uh, basically from the teachings of what the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, taught, what Islam taught. And that is very good that uh, when people are open to new culture, they learn about 
um, different different religion or different traditions of 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 different people. So that that's that's very good. Mm. So you think that people, be, as a result of this, will uh, become more familiar with an Islamic country like that and what's going on, and the way the people behave, and perhaps will uh, change their uh, um, perception yeah. uh, for, of, of what mm. Islam is for the better. I mean, to be, to be honest, this is a an issue which is always uh, which needs to be addressed as well. Uh, just recently, the riots which are taking place in France as well. Again, you know, the media very strongly um, it, you know, does uh, sort of portray Islam as well in an extremist sense as well. Mm. Um, so, I mean, this is something which is ongoing, but it, it does help. You know, every every uh, every positive little change you know does help but again it's it's something which is ongoing um and i think uh, we, we we will continue to address this issue that you know islam yeah. is a, it's not an extremist religion but a no. very very peaceful one yeah yeah so and it's wrong always to characterize the activities of a small minority minority and uh, label it uh, yeah and tarnish the whole religion uh, mm. because um, extremists and uh, and uh, perverts exist in all religions uh, mm. and uh, we should be careful in uh, not brandishing the whole Absolutely. face with uh, the uh, actions of a few uh, let's look at the uh, religion uh, more objectively um, anyway, we have to uh, move on. And uh, oh, another Jordan Henderson, I forgot to mention. He's also <laughs> gone. <laughs> He's the latest uh, who has uh, um, taken the plunge and gone over uh, to Saudi Arabia. But he was uh, apparently being uh, persuaded by um, Stephen Gerrard. Stephen Gerrard is uh, a manager of one of the clubs there, mm. apparently. Anyway. Uh, we'll see how that develops. It'll be quite interesting. Uh, we have to move on because um, we need to now address the first of our big stories. Uh, this is regarding social isolation and loneliness linked to increased risk of all-cause mortality. Uh, so that's the title. Social isolation and loneliness linked to increased risk of all-cause mortality. Picked up uh, this from um, Medical News uh, today. Uh, their website, and uh, essentially uh, the uh, big points uh, that emerge from this particular uh, link uh, says that social isolation and loneliness are both associated with an uh, increased risk of all-cause mortality and uh, expensive, um, um, and this is uh, from an expensive new meta-study and this particular conclusion has emerged. In, in addition, <coughs> uh, many um, uh, among people with cancer, social isolation, and loneliness are linked to a higher risk of death. For people with heart disease, social isolation, uh, not loneliness, is associated with a higher mortality risk. Uh, a new study confirms uh, that an association between social isolation, loneliness, and mortality, and the authors investigated how the two phenomena, this is uh, both of isolation and loneliness, uh, how uh, they were linked to all-cause deaths and uh, deaths from cardiovascular disease and breast cancer. Um, the large meta-analysis found that uh, being socially isolated 
was associated with 26% increase in the risk of alcohol's death compared to people who were not socially isolated. Uh, the effect of uh, loneliness was uh, slightly less, but still concerning. The chance of death for people experiencing prolonged loneliness was 14% higher than for people who were not lonely. Both social isolation and loneliness were linked to an increase in the likelihood of all cause and cancer deaths. Social isolation uh, was also associated with an increased risk of death for people with cardiovascular disease. The meta-study analyzed the findings of 90 separate studies involving uh, 2,000, no, in fact, 2,205,199 people. So it is a very, very large uh, um, cohort that has been analyzed, um, more than 2 million, <coughs> nearly 2 and a quarter million. Uh, one of the interesting aspects of the study is uh, social uh, isolation's greater effect on mortality than loneliness. Uh, the two conditions might seem similar, however, they're not the same. Uh, the study defines social isolation as an objective lack of or limited uh, social contact with other people and is characterized by a person having a limited social network, having infrequent social contacts, or possibly living alone. Loneliness, on the other hand, is a subjective feeling of distress, arising when there is a discrepancy between desired and actual social relationships. It is possible to be socially isolated without feelings of loneliness, and, for example, to feel lonely uh, in a group of people, even if those people are known. Now, there are impacts of uh, social uh, isolation, and uh, they've also been described in uh, this uh, particular uh, piece uh, that is on the website. It's uh, and Dr. Roseanne Freak-Poli, an epidemiologist and senior research fellow at uh, Monash University, not involved in the study, uh, told Medical News Today that with the new study, two landmark uh, meta-analytical studies, a trusted source have identified that social isolation is a stronger risk factor for mortality than loneliness. And uh, we can talk more about uh, what that particular website has to offer. Uh, we are, I understand, joined by uh, our first um, contributor. It's uh, I believe it's Leslie uh, Carter. Uh, let me just get my buttons in order. Um, uh, good morning, Leslie. Are you with us? I'm here. Hello. Oh, yes. Let me just introduce uh, you. Uh, according to my notes, you're a, a clinical lead, professionals in practice in the Health Influ Influencing Division at UK, uh, and you're a project lead for the uh, Malnutrition Task Force at UK. And your areas of expertise are older people, mental health, and dementia. And you are a registered nurse with an active uh, PIN number. Is that right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> That's me. Thank you. Okay. Okay. So I've, I haven't done justice to your uh, credentials? Well, yes, a bit okay. too much, I think. <laughs> so, okay. Well, good. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, would, uh, hurt, uh, I would hate not to have done justice to it. Anyway, well, what does Thank an active you. PIN number mean? 
therefore it just means that I'm on the register, but I haven't, my registration hasn't lapsed. Oh, okay, all right. But I'm, you know, still registered to practice. I see. Because sometimes when you move out of clinical practice, people lose their registration. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, thank you for inviting me to talk to you today. No, no, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, now, for the benefit of our listeners, can you just explain what the main age, main uh, aim of uh, Age UK is? Yes. So Age UK really is the country's leading charity for older people. Um dedicated really to helping everybody get the most out of later life because you know sometimes as we age we begin to think that you know we we're not worth as much as we were and so many people find themselves in quite desperate need many have no one to turn to so with age uk we provide services support really at a national level and a local level mm-hmm. and we also stand up for people who've reached that later life no matter who you are, but we also campaign to protect the long-term interests of future generations. Right. And, uh, yes, uh, did you want to go on? No, carry on. Um, We're talking about loneliness and social isolation and how it affects people. Uh, How severe can these effects be, in your view? Well, I think that they can be extremely... um, bad for you feeling dreadful so when we feel lonely or isolated we feel really miserable that has a significant impact on our well-being and our mental health and being lonely can make us feel really worried anxious low out of sorts i mean these feelings can be because of something that's happened in our life because it could be because of a loss when somebody's died or a change in your life giving up work perhaps being diagnosed with a new illness or moving home. Sometimes there's no specific cause and these feelings of lack of energy, of sadness, of worry and anxiety just come on. Now, if we don't recognize these feelings because they come on so slowly, sometimes we wrongly think that's just a normal part of aging. And many older people who are feeling very low and um, have other signs, they don't actually seek help. But all these feelings are signs that you are not as well as you could be. Mm. And if we don't address these feelings early on, they'll get worse and they could lead to serious mental health problems. Right. So we know, sorry, we know that depression is one of the most common mental health problems followed by anxiety that older people face. People, some older people feel that there's nothing that can be done, but the good news is that with the correct treatment, older people can get back to feeling a lot better. Right. Uh, my colleague is with me. He'll be asking a couple of questions. But before he does that, in your experience, um, is this kind of uh, feeling increasing among people or uh, is it the other way around? No, I think it's increasing. I think that a lot of older people have been very badly affected by the COVID legacy. There Mm. are still a lot of older people who are very reluctant to go out and mix with others, particularly if they've already got a long-term condition that could make them very vulnerable if they catch a respiratory infection or indeed COVID. And I think that people have gone into themselves and they've very much stayed at home and avoided going out. 
And this is something that Age UK is really trying to get our services, local services back to be what the local population need so that older people can go back to lunch clubs, go back to community centres and start you know, socialising with people because being on your own is really bad, really bad. Okay. Um so uh, I'm just passing the mic on to uh, to my okay. colleague. Yes. Uh, good morning, Leslie. Thank you for joining Hello. us. Uh, really enjoying the discussion here. Um, and I wanted to ask you, you know, we've discussed loneliness. Um, I wanted to ask what can be done to control the feelings of social isolation and ho- and loneliness? How can we tackle it? Well, I think, first of all, we as society have got to recognise that an older person with mental health problems is not just a part of ageing. We have to look at how people are changing. So, you know, if you go and visit an older relative, do they look thinner? Do you think they've lost weight? Are they speaking less? Do they look a little bit more dishevelled than they normally would? These are very small signs that we should look out for. And, you know, ask people, how are you feeling? Are you feeling sad? Particularly when people have had a lot of change in their life. It's important that we start a conversation and say, how are you feeling? It's not normal for you to feel like this. Let me help you. Let's go to see a healthcare professional. Mm. I know it's difficult these days to get appointments with your doctor and there's a lot of hoop to jump through, but they are there to help. And if we say, as we ring up, actually, this is a very serious problem for me. I'm feeling really poorly. I'm worried about how I'm going to manage. And of course, people do, older people do feel suicidal. Mm. You know, it's not just other people. Older, quite older people feel very suicidal. Mm. And do you think just sometimes uh, comforting them and talk, talking to them, because sometimes they just need someone to talk to really, do you think that yes. that that is some of the factors which which um affect that affect affect loneliness and yes. these feelings of uh, feeling suicidal i definitely do i mean age uk has something that we we call um our telephone befrienders and we've found that just by having one telephone call for one hour a week with an older person with the same person ringing that older person once a week it makes people feel a lot better mm. because you know if that's the only person they've got to see in a week they yeah. look forward to that call yeah. and it lightens their mood i think going round to see people sending them something if you live away just making sure that you ring them send them a letter a bunch of flowers just to let people know that they're not alone that we're thinking about them we live away there's fractured families it's can be quite difficult sometimes but we just need to chat to people and take them out of their house take them for a ride in the car walk down the road with them if they're feeling nervous thank you for that and and just just <laughs> just uh, really important and i think i i should stress here as well that uh, anyone can volunteer isn't it you've mentioned that yeah. um calling them for one hour maybe once a week Anyone can yep. contribute to this, right? And just uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, yes, everybody's welcome because we always try to fit you with somebody who has similar interests, community as you do. 
Thank so, you. you know, if you're a gardener, mm. you're talking to somebody who's interested in gardening. Absolutely. And Leslie, <laughs> one question that I really wanted to ask is that, do you think as we are living in sort of a materialistic society as well and everyone's, you know, working nine to five, they've got their own jobs to attend. Do you think we're moving more and more towards that materialistic society and, you know, even children, uh, obviously their first, their duty is also to look after their parents, but do you think there's more of a trend now that, uh, young adults, you know, they're leaving their parents behind and then saying that, you know, well, we don't have time, we've we've got our own priorities. Do you think there's more of a trend towards that in the society? Well, I don't know. I think that people are very much under pressure. Mm. I think you're very much under pressure to get your education and to do well in your job. And I think that means that we sometimes have to move away from where our families are and I think that's what makes it really difficult but I think that grown up grandchildren are really important mm. to their grandparents mm. and if you're a grown up if you're a grown up grandchild ring your nana because she'll <laughs> be really pleased to hear from you <laughs> send her a text <laughs> Send us some flowers as well. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, just one last question from uh, my end, and I'll pass the mic on to Brother Valid. Um, what can be done to prevent uh, these feelings of suicide? You know, you were mentioning, um, uh, you know, some people feel suicidal. So what can be done to prevent these feelings of suicide? And what services uh, does Age UK offer for those experiencing suicidal thoughts and feelings of loneliness? Well, I think, first of all, if you are feeling suicidal or you feel that you might harm yourself, and then I think that you need to call the Samaritans because they are there for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there's an easy number, 116-123. And people can talk to them at any time. But if you're just if you're thinking that life is really not worth living because I feel so low, I think we need to try and get people to the GP because there are medications and there are treatments that can be given that will help. I think we need to try and get people out and about. So the local Age UK, so there will be an, a local Age UK in your area. And there's two ways that you can find out what is happening in your local area. You can phone the Age UK advice line, which is on 0800 678 1602, which is open 8 a.m. till 7 p.m. every day of the year. Or you can go to the Age UK website and you can put your postcode in and it will come up. What is your local Age UK? how you can contact them and some of the things that they have got on offer. And I think that there might be more than you imagine sometimes because you don't need much. You might need someone to pop round. You might need a handyman, a telephone call. You might want to go to the lunch club, want to make some friends to have a knit, do some knitting and natter or for men to do a bit of woodwork. Those things are out there. Mm. We need to support our older people to get there. 
Um, um, Leslie, if uh, somebody uh, listening to you are uh, enthused enough to want to contribute, how can they do so? Uh, is there a website? Is there a telephone number that they can yes, uh, use? Yes, there's, um, there's the website that they can go on to. They can send me an email if they would like. Okay. My email address is Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, mm-hmm. Carter at A-G-K, right. dot co.uk. Okay. And the website of Page UK Gen? The, yeah. Sorry, you can... The website is Age UK. Sorry, I don't... Um, www.age mm-hmm. Ask Mr. Google. He'll tell you where it was to. <laughs> right, okay. So if anybody uh, wants to uh, um, actually contribute and help uh, the elderly, uh, they can do so by accessing yes. uh, your uh, your um, your organisation through those. Yes, and and, and very pleased to hear from you. Okay, excellent. Well, I hope you get an avalanche of volunteers to help you out <laughs> in your work. All right, so brace yourself. <laughs> and well, thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah. Uh, I hope we've helped. No, I'm Thank sure you, you have. <laughs> uh, it's a pleasure having you. So uh, I wish you all the best in, in the future in the line of work you're pursuing. It's a very noble task. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right, so that was uh, Leslie Carter, uh, registered nurse with an active PIN number. Uh, and she works uh, for ADUK uh, in something that is um, a very worthwhile, worthwhile task, many would agree. Um, I was reading uh, what uh, the website was saying. This is the website that actually uh, stimulated our interest in this particular item. It's about social isolation and loneliness linked to increased risk of all-cause mortality. Uh, medic- uh, uh, medical News Today was in fact uh, featuring this. And uh, one of the researchers, uh, Dr. Angelina R. R. Sutin, a professor at the College of Medicine at Florida State University. Uh, incidentally, she was not in, involved in this. She was just, she's a researcher in this kind of field, in this field. Um, she told uh, uh, the uh, um, website, this is Medical News Today, she thought, um, that um, uh, when social isolation is not causing loneliness uh, in an uh, individual, there are at least a couple of reasons why it can be harmful. And uh, she cites one is that uh, socially isolated people may have no one to help uh, and uh, get, for example, to a doctor regularly, either because they lack uh, transportation or because some procedures uh, require an accompanying individual. And Dr. Freak Polly's uh, research indicates that some unhealthy responses associated with loneliness may also occur with social isolation. She said her research has shown that both social isolation and loneliness are associated with health effects such as, and there's, uh, there's five of them, uh, elevated blood pressure, high triglycerides, overweight and obesity, lower quality of life, and poor mental health. Um, so there's uh, um, elaborate... Uh, uh, Islamic perspective to it, which Imam Tukhi would in fact uh, um, shed further light on uh, later in the program. Uh, but um, that's basically the sum total, uh, at least the gist of it, of what this uh, website, medical 
this was, uh, website was actually uh, saying uh, the website's name is uh, uh, Medical News Today regarding social isolation and loneliness and how it impacts on, uh, on mortality. Um, we will be continuing with this uh, particular item, this particular subject, immediately after the 8 o'clock news. Um, that's uh, just uh, a minute and a half away. Uh, in the meantime, if you do have anything uh, to contribute, you want to share your thoughts and views on anything we may be discussing, then you know the number. It's uh, 0208 687 7878. Uh, we are still on Twitter, uh, and the Twitter handle is Voice of Islam UK. I don't think we've been trending, have we? Yes, <laughs> yes. So that may be something. If it's if something becomes more popular, then we may have a trender account also to share our uh, with our uh, listeners on, uh, on thread. Thread. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, threads. Uh, oh, threads, yeah, not trending. Threads. Okay, thread, uh, threads, threads, yes. Yeah. Thank you, thank you for that clarification. Otherwise, I'm sure many of our listeners will be quite confused as to what <laughs> we're talking about. Okay, so it's threads. Um, are you on threads? I'm, I'm not on no, threads. Nor am I. No, I'm not even on Twitter at the moment. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm quite far behind. Uh, I went on to LinkedIn recently, uh, but I haven't used the account at all. Uh, anyway, um, a few seconds uh, to go for the news. Don't go away. Do stay with us because uh, after we uh, finish with this particular story, we'll be looking at the next of our stories, how to be happy, habits for a happier life. So a lot of happy news to come later on. Do stay with us. Here's news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the Voice of Islam, the breakfast show of the Voice of Islam with Imam Tukit and me and myself. We'll leave them at the time. is uh, just gone two minutes past eight. Uh, as mentioned before the break, we'll be continuing our discussion with the first of our main stories. It's uh, regarding social isolation and loneliness, uh, something we picked up from one of the websites. And... Uh, uh, it explains th- this particular website as to how it's linked to increased risk of all uh, all cause mortality. A very extensive study, uh, what was it, uh, 90 separate studies uh, incorporating some two and a quarter million people. So uh, it has a, a very large uh, database to to have uh, examined and. Uh, and uh, reached uh, its its conclusions or and uh, we do we did speak earlier uh, to Leslie uh, Carter uh, who's a nurse and I'm pleased to note that we have now uh, the company of uh, our second uh, main contributor which is Olivia Field thank you very much for joining us on the breakfast show Olivia hi it's great to be here to talk about this important subject Right, excellent. Okay, I'm glad uh, you're on. Uh, you're the head and, uh, of uh, policy and loneliness at, uh, at the British Red Cross. Uh, can you tell us a bit, first of all, about uh, the Red Cross and w- what is your role in the organisation? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the British Red Cross is, is part of the Red Cross and Red Crescent movement, uh, the global largest humanitarian movement in the world. Um, And many people don't realise that actually the British Red Cross in the UK is helping uh, large numbers of people with health and social care needs, um, people who've um, fled war and persecution, um, and also responding to emergencies like floods and fires. 
And through that experience, we know uh, from our 150 years experience responding to emergencies, that it is often the loneliest and most isolated people who are the least able to cope and recover from a crisis, whatever that may be, which is why people, people are often surprised um, why the Red Cross um, advocates and raises awareness and, and focuses on alleviating loneliness and social isolation in our communities. But that's why it's to build resilience so we're all better able um, to cope when an emergency strikes. Mm-hmm. So it's only after an emergency that uh, uh, that you actually uh, move in and uh, address the situation of uh, social isolation and loneliness. No, uh, we 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 are working with communities to address uh-huh. loneliness before right. an emergency strikes, so that people um, and communities' resilience increases. But we see loneliness across all of our service. So I'll get I'll give you a taste of of what we do in all of those areas. We work in um, over 100 hospitals in in A&E in the UK, helping people home from hospital. Um, And we often see people who are navigating a new health condition struggle to maintain their social connections, but they also have an identity crisis. Who am I now that I have this health condition? I can't do things that I might have typically done before. And that makes it very difficult to connect with people on a very personal level. Um, We also help people uh, who are struggling financially. We have a support line helping people with practical and emotional needs. Um, We help uh, 30,000 refugees and people seeking asylum who have been separated from friends and family and are struggling to form those connections here in the UK. Uh, So it's not just about kind of those those floods and fires and, and big emergencies, but we see all of this about helping people cope with their individual and those community emergencies. Mm-hmm. Um, in your work, I mean, uh, what what impacts have you seen of personalised care and attention towards those who feel um, socially isolated and lonely? It's amazing, actually, how simple the interventions for loneliness can be. So, so we often help people who have been. Um, bound um, for not just months but potentially years and um, some aren't even opening their curtains anymore they, do, they don't see the point they're not getting dressed and our um, Red Cross staff and volunteers will go in they'll form a connection with that individual and most importantly they'll understand what it is that that individual needs so they will base our service intervention on that individual's wants and desires. They'll ask them, what is it that you would like to be able to do? So it's totally tailored to their needs. And Mm. just through that approach, we've seen amazing changes in a matter of months. Um, So people who have gone from being totally isolated and excluded, starting to um, go to social clubs in their local area, starting online courses, and even re-entering work. It's amazing what a little bit of time and attention can do. And also, of course, an understanding of the wider services that that are available in the community. Hmm. Uh, How do you deal with people who want to be alone? They prefer isolation. Is that a bad thing? And do you think, is it something that you actually actively get involved in trying to persuade them to change that? Is that a good thing to do? So what what we found is that there's a difference between loneliness and isolation. So loneliness is a negative feeling, but it's really subjective. So it's 
it, it happens when there's a mismatch between um, the relationships that someone would like and the relationships that people have. And of course, for, for, some, for all people, that satisfaction will be different according to their relationships. But isolation is much more objective. It, it's a lack of opportunities to integrate. Um, you can, of course, be lonely in a crowded room and you can be um, totally content, completely isolated. Hmm. What we're very concerned about is, is, is chronic loneliness. So, so everyone feels lonely from time to time. It's a natural feeling. But when people start to feel lonely always or often, that can lead to really bad consequences on their, on their health and, and their well-being. So people who um, feel lonely often, um, only 3% of those people feel like life is worth living. We also know that um, chronic loneliness is, is as bad for you as smoking and obesity. It's linked to an increased risk of Alzheimer's, sleep problems, depression, stroke. You're also more likely to frequently go to A&E and, and your GP. Um, and, and of course, what, what the study that you, you've drawn on shows is that you're more likely to, to die early as well. Mm. Um, and that isn't good for, for anyone, for society or the individual. Now, prolonged and unwanted isolation can often lead to long-term and chronic loneliness, which, which is what we want to avoid. Some of the people that we help, I should say, don't see isolation as their issue. So we start to help them perhaps because they've, they've, they've got a new medical need and um, uh, either the local authority or the NHS have asked, them, asked us to kind of provide that wraparound support around their medical care or um, because they might be struggling financially and they need a little bit of support and guidance to get out of that situation. So they often come to us for very practical reasons, not because of their loneliness and isolation, but actually when we start to help them, we realize what's actually causing a lot of their problems is that social isolation and loneliness and through our intervention they might realize that actually gaining a friend or some social support networks it, it, it is one of the ways that is going to really help them out of this crisis point. Mm. Uh, my colleague also has a few questions um, uh, but uh, are you then saying that somebody um, who uh, has a lot of friends uh, and a lot of interaction with others but f feels lonely is more lonely than somebody who doesn't have any friends but is content with that situation. Yes, I, I am, and I know that sounds strange, but mm. it is a, it is a subjective feeling. So mm -hmm. it's about how mean it's about the quality and how meaningful those relationships are to an individual. Mm. And people need different sorts of relationships. We all do. Now, I think that that there are some common themes that we see so i think it's really important well we know it's really important to have at least one or two people that you can rely on in a crisis that you can turn to when something really goes wrong it, many people in this country don't have that during covid uh, we were um, regularly polling um, uk adults and over a third were telling us that they thought that if something happened to them no one would notice and equally that they couldn't turn to anyone if they needed something. Now, that doesn't give people um, great confidence and a feeling of um, security, which isn't good for loneliness. Mm -hmm. Do you think social media has a lot to answer for in this respect? Things like Twitter early, and, and yeah, it, yeah, WhatsApp? It, 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 it's early days with social media. Mm -hmm. We know from our, from our own work that technology 
um, and and even social media can really help people that those people who can't get out very much who live very far away from friends and family it, it, it can do wonders for those people in terms of maintaining connections with with the important people in their life and also not being totally excluded but when online interventions start to replace face-to-face interventions, which, which, which we have seen across populations, yes. in, in, particularly in younger groups, yes. that, is, that, is, that is worrying. Because mm-hmm. we do know that face-to-face, in-person relationships and interactions tend to be much more meaningful than online ones. Mm. Very interesting. Anyway, I, I'd love to talk to you more, but uh, my colleague also has some questions. So I have to give him space as well, please, if you don't mind. Thank you for joining us this morning, Olivia. Um, I wanted to ask you, do you think that feelings of loneliness and social isolation can be managed easily? And in your opinion, what's the best way to manage and control it? So as I said before, loneliness is a, is a subjective feeling. So there's no one silver bullet solution, unfortunately. Um, but there are things that we can all do at an individual level. Um, and, and, the, and the first is to just recognize if you are feeling lonely, you're not alone, because that can make you feel even more isolated. We know that millions, so our own research a few years ago suggested that 9 million UK adults are feeling always or often lonely. And we know that it's similar in, in, in other countries as well. Um, so you're not alone in your loneliness. Um, but the second thing is, 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 given that, you shouldn't be ashamed or feel embarrassed to reach out for help. So we do know that people who talk about loneliness and who feel like they can open up about loneliness are much more likely to come out of that chronic state of loneliness quickly. And, and there's support. You know, you'll find that actually most people are, are very and friends and families when you, when you kind of bite that bullet and you say you know, I'm feeling lonely, I could do with a little bit more support, they're willing to help. But if you don't have those people, there is support out there. The, Red, the British Red Cross has a support line, as do others, and we have information on our website. Um, people also need to start to realise how important relationships and friendships are, not just for our happiness, but for our health and our well-being and our productivity. Um, I should say, though, that this isn't just down to the individual. So at the British Red Cross, we've been working very closely with government and employers because we really see that change is needed at all levels of society. So many people that we help, and people have told us this as well through our work, you know, they, they're struggling to maintain those connections because of a lack of public and affordable um, places to go and activities or because they can't get a bus or a train to, to social activities or to a friend or a family or because of the stress difficulty and um, the stress uh, associated with how difficult it can be to access health services and these are all things that we're working with with government across numerous government departments to fix at the moment thank you and also which groups of people are most affected by social isolation and loneliness So loneliness can affect absolutely anyone. It doesn't discriminate. Um, However, there are are people who are at much greater risk of feeling always or often lonely. Um, It can affect people of all ages, but um, people who are going through significant life changes and life transitions. So, for example, um, the onset of a new health condition or um, starting a new job, losing a job, um, and uh, moving to a new place, all of these things can, can trigger that state of chronic loneliness. We also know that things like 
um, financial struggles, low income, and living in, in more deprived areas makes you at greater risk of, of loneliness. Thank you. And research has shown that social isolation and loneliness has been linked to increased risk of all-cause mortality. What do you think is the cause of this? Yeah, so like you say, and I said before, it, we've actually known this, this for a long time. This new research just emphasizes how bad loneliness and, and unwanted and prolonged isolation it is for your, for your physical health. Now, there, there are several reasons for this. So um, we know that chronic loneliness results in an increase in stress hormones, which have been proven to negatively affect your body in both an emotional and, and a physical way. Um, we also know that people who lack support networks are less likely to, to get the medical care they need um, at the right time. Um, that's often because our systems are very difficult to navigate on your own, particularly when you're, you're unwell um, and not in a good emotional state too. Um, but finally, we know that loneliness and isolation, and I should say chronic loneliness, can lead to bad habits. So um, if you are completely isolated, you're lonely, you're feeling um, unsatisfied with life, you're not feeling like life is worth living, um, people are much more likely to pick up bad habits like a poor diet and a lack of exercise, which of course then has a negative effect um, on, on, on people's physical health. Um, and, and it's why loneliness has been linked to an increased risk of Alzheimer's, sleep problems, depression, stroke. I mean frailty the list really does just go on and on and on it really is one of um, the country's biggest public health crises uh, which is why we've been working so closely with government for so long to raise awareness of the issue and to start to look for policy and practice solutions for our public services thank you and and i think just one last question from my side before we do let you go is that if we do know someone who is suffering from loneliness what are some of the key steps you know um we can do to to help them or what should we be doing really good question so the first thing is just to ask them if they're okay i wouldn't say are you feeling lonely because there is stigma sadly even though we all feel it um there's stigma attached to the word lonely so people that might make people quite defensive or embarrassed but make more of an effort to see if they're okay, to see if they'd like to do something, to see if you can help um, in, in a way that doesn't use that word lonely. And if you don't feel like you're able to help, look to um, organizations like the British Red Cross. We have lots of resources on our website. So if you write in Red Cross loneliness resources that help you as an individual um, address loneliness, but also help you address loneliness uh, amongst those around you. I should say, final thing I would like to say is that really the smallest interventions can make the biggest difference. It's amazing what a smile can do, a note through the door, um, a text just saying, thinking about you, hope you're okay. That can really make somebody feel part of this world again and as though they, they belong, which is crucial to addressing the issue. Thank you, Olivia Field, Head of Policy and Loneliness Expert at the British Red Cross. Thank you so much for joining us this morning and sharing your expertise on this subject. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Um, uh, we have, I understand, uh, Atik Rahman also coming onto the uh, onto the line. He's uh, the uh, secretary Biat, uh, of uh, the youth of the Ambia Muslim community. Uh, Tarbiyat can be uh, translated as moral uh, upbringing. Upbringing. 
and uh, um, thank you very much for coming on, uh, Atik. No worries. Uh, thanks right. for having me. <laughs> right, absolutely no worries, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, what, are, what are some of the reasons for why people might uh, experience loneliness and feelings of social isolation in your view? Um, I, th- I think from, from our perspective, we've, we've probably seen more happen since, since COVID. I think COVID um, caused you know, two-ish, two years of people kind of being isolated, had a big impact on um, you know, social interactions and you know, in, especially the youth um, being able to kind of go out and you know, even uh, work or university, everything kind of went online. So that caused everything to kind of be, be very siloed, be very kind of you know, intrinsic and everyone started you know, staying at home a lot more. Um, but, but but there's also other things as well. It's not just COVID, and I think COVID has had a big impact. But you know, loss of loved ones, mental health, you know, social media. I think social media is a huge one nowadays. Um, you know, and I think we've we've done a lot of stuff from our side um, to try and counteract that um, disability as well. I think sometimes we forget that. I, when I got married, um, my my wife's sister's disabled, and I before marriage, I kind of never had any exposure to anyone who was disabled or any understanding of some of the challenges they face. And after marriage, I realised actually, you know, times can be very lonely for these individuals, and also age. I think I think what we've noticed as well, we've seen that, you know, we're trying to do more for the older generation, especially when they lose um, their loved one. You know, they tend to be on their own. Um, you know, it's just kind of there's not much for them to do um, or, or get involved with because they're retired now. So there's there's a number of different kind of um, things that can kind of cause loneliness uh, mm-hmm. and social isolation. Um, you mentioned social media. Is that a, a, an asset uh, or is that a hindrance when it comes to a perpetuating feeling of uh, loneliness? I think I think it's probably a hindrance. You know, we've really? been given a lot. Of, yeah, we've been given a lot of guidance by beloved Azura about um, uh, social media and and the positive, the pros and the cons. Mm-hmm. But I think if you if you are an individual who a you're either already struggling with you know some sort of um, so isolation or you're, you're feeling lonely or you know anxiety depression or whatever it might be social media can actually exasperate the situation it can, it can make things so much harder and so much more difficult because mm. a lot of the things you see on social media are fake right. and you start to kind of see things and you start to go oh I wish I had that life or why is that person living like that or why does that individual look like that I, I, I don't align to what people are talking about on social media so you know I, I don't necessarily fit in and that starts to have negative thoughts and negative impacts on individuals. Mm. And, um, I mean, you serve in the Ahmadi Muslim community. How does the Ahmadi Muslim community, uh, what does it do to diminish uh, depression and loneliness among members? What kind of initiatives does it undertake? Yes, yeah, so we've, we've talked, over the last kind of three or four years, we've tried to launch um, quite a few things. And I, I wouldn't say we've diminished it, but we, we're trying to really help uh, the situation. Um, you know, some of, some of the things we've done, and they've all been taken from, you know, guidance from Blavit Hazur. Mm. Um, the, first, the first thing is, is basically build a relationship with every single individual. So our, our regional and local youth leaders, um, of which we have, I think, about 152 local youth leaders, they've been tasked by us to kind of go out and visit every single human being, every single um, uh, person of the community, sorry, all right. within their age range of 15 to 40. And that isn't just going out and kind of visiting them and just, you know, asking them to attend the mosque or attend activities. It's just going out to see them and say, how are you? How are things? You know, mm-hmm. I'm here to help. I'm here to support. I'm here to guide. Um, to the point where there's a number of youth leaders who have just gone out recently 
and just dropped off a box of chocolates with handwritten messages saying, look, I'm here for you, whatever you need. My job here is to kind of guide you, support you, um, uh, and give you anything that you need. You know, just give me a call whenever you want. And these things, and I heard the previous caller say, um, that even a smile or, or, or something very small can have a very big impact. And this is why these guys are doing it, because hopefully, you know, someone can see that and go, do you know what, there is someone there for me. I'm not actually on my own. We've also organised a load of activities across the various mosques or halls or youth centres across the country, um, trying to cater for everyone's needs. So we're not just doing kind of just football, it's various different activities and trying to make sure that we have something for everyone. Um, we've run a number of campaigns. You know, as I'm sure you guys are aware, there's a stigma attached, especially within the Asian community, um, for people to talk about these type of things. You know, we kind of just bottle it up and keep it inside ourselves and we're scared to mention or say anything because you know, people people might gossip or, you know, we just don't talk about it. Our parents have told us, you know, this stuff isn't things you talk about. So we've launched a number of campaigns to try and get, you know, the youth more confident and trustworthy of us to try and come out and speak to us and be more open and understand that, you know, we're here to help them and support them and we're not going to judge them. And finally, I think, you know, the religion itself, the religion itself guides us to, you know, have that relationship with God. You know, if, if you have the ability to, you know, speak to God five times a day, you know, with no one judging you, no one kind of talking back or no one saying anything to you, you can have a very honest, open, heartfelt conversation with God five times a day. You know, that can have a massive impact on your, your kind of, you know, mental well-being as well. Well, that's very interesting, very interesting. Uh, Imam Tukir has a few questions as well, if you don't mind. No worries. Assalamu alaikum, Atik. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, you know, you've mentioned some of the work uh, the um, the Muslim Youth Association is doing, uh, especially you know with regards to you've mentioned a lot of uh, 152 of these members. You know, are going to meet members within their community. You know, uh, give them chocolates or just a smile on their faces. I I wanted to ask you, um, you know, if you can also uh, shed some light or gifts. Uh, some of the guidance which His Holiness has given on this as well to your uh, particular, um, you know, your your organization here with in tackling depression, loneliness, um, and how are you, uh, you know, acting on these initiatives? I think the biggest guidance that, you know, we've been given, and, you know, I've, I've heard on many occasions now. So we, we're fortunate enough, we have the opportunity to have kind of sessions. We've had virtual uh, meetings with Beloved Azul where, you know, youth um, between the ages of 15 up until, I think, 21, 22, I've had the opportunity to actually ask questions directly to Azul. And you know, a number of questions have actually been this. You know, the, we've seen a rise in mental health. Um, we've seen a, a rise in depression, anxiety. What are the kind of ways to kind of counteract this or what, what can we do to help and assist? And, and the biggest one bit of guidance that, you know, Beloved Azul has given is that the challenge we face today is that a lot of individuals have literally gone away from you know the, the key focus, which is God, our Creator. You know we are now so heavily involved and so heavily engaged in the world. You know, and and that's when I mentioned about social media. That plays a huge impact. Where all you're thinking about is, well, what has the other person got? What is the other person doing? Why is that person, um, you know, able to drive around in that car and I'm not? Um, you're scrolling for hours and hours and looking at everyone else around you and you want certain things that other people have because you've seen it you want to live that lifestyle and that causes a huge amount of kind of anxiety because you can't achieve it you can't get it 
However, the reality is is that if we were all to basically understand that, you know, all we need to do is return to our Creator, you know, get closer to God, build that relationship with God, um, and understand that, you know, if we if we if we can kind of you know, get that and become a habit in terms of, you know, making sure that we pray five times a day, making sure that we remember God on a regular basis, you know, God, God will always kind of help us and guide us and ease our heart. Sometimes it's hard to hard to talk about that because you know people who aren't religious necessarily or, or or atheistic they they may not kind of see that as a solution and think whatever. But let's take it into a worldly perspective. A lot of the solutions that are coming out now, especially around depression and mental health, is around kind of meditation, it's peace, it's tranquility, it's kind of being in with your own thoughts, taking time out. And we are very fortunate, you know, to be brought up as, as Muslim ethnicities that we have the opportunity to pray five times a day. Is the greatest opportunity that we have when it comes to kind of meditation. You are one on one with God. You have um, nothing else around you. You're thinking about nothing else, and you're having a very private, very intimate conversation with God Almighty. And as I said, that if you can just get regular in that, and you can really kind of come back to the, the core fundamentals of the religion, which is you know to to worship God, to get close to God, God will absolutely always have your back. And you will start to feel an ease and you'll start to maybe kind of even understand, you know, actually, you know, the rest of the stuff is causing me issues and anxiety. I don't need to get involved in that. I'm happy and I'm healthy and I'm living a very good life. So that's the one core bit of, I think, guidance that has always given us. So there's loads more, but I think that's probably the most pertinent one. Mm-hmm. I mean, just lastly from my side, um, you know, you know, we know from your department every year at the uh, annual gathering of the MDM Muslim Youth Association, um, your department it hosts, um, uh, you know, the the hub essentially for all of the members, uh, you know, where you're providing different activities where you know they could just come uh do like a pull-up bar challenge uh you know there's the you've got punch bag there you've got so many things over there and really you know when you're coming into the hub you feel really relaxed and you feel as if you know you can say anything you want to and you know you won't get judged for it really so I, lastly i wanted to ask you what can we expect um you, you know what what will be some new initiatives that you you've been planning on for this year well, hopefully it'll be some more of the same. Firstly, you won't be seeing me doing any pull-up challenges or punching bags because <laughs> I think I'm sure for that now. Um, but, you know, you, we will hopefully see more of the same. I think what we, we're trying to do this year is we're actually trying to go to the actual regions and, and the local areas first mm. and try to deliver to them, you know, some sort of uh, support and guidance and show them that, you know, that my department over the past couple of years has had a perception of this is the police, right? And that you know, this department is very strict or disciplined because mm. rightly so look, we're, we're there for moral and training right? and I think over the last couple of years what we've tried to do is change that perception and try to kind of get people to understand that we're not, we're here to support them, we're here to guide them, there's no judgement you know, I want every single youth within the epidemic community to trust me to go, you know what, if I've got a problem whatever it is, I can call this guy and I can speak to him and I can have an open conversation and that's what I've tried to do with my team and that's what we're trying to do with the hub this year, we're going to have a specific section where we're going to allow basically anyone to come and just have an open conversation, whether that be privately um, anonymously or whether that be kind of uh, openly we're also going to be launching a number of different initiatives this year in terms of we're going to be getting a couple of um, panellists and we're going to have some fireside chats, basically. Mm. These individuals have gone through certain challenges 
Um, and they very kindly said they're very happy to openly talk about some of the challenges they faced. Because I think it's important to show the youth that, you know, there are people who have gone through these challenges and come out the other side. And what are the solutions and how have they done it? Because people buy people. And I think when someone sees someone of the same age, same colour, same kind of, you know, background, going through something similar, but coming out the other side in a very positive manner, it can really have a massive impact on them. And I think, you know, I think very, very kind of relevant recently is, you know, the Delhi Ali story that recently came out yesterday, um, interviewed Gary mm. You know, we... I was watching that last night. Yeah, it's, yeah. Really, it's so powerful. And mm. if you look at the media now and you see all the different areas of media, and we're all guilty of it. We saw Delhi Ali and his kind of, you know, what happened to his career. And we all started saying, oh, look, he's too much into this and too much into that. And all the media were doing it. But if you look at them now, they're now saying, wow, hold on a minute, we made a mistake. So it is really just about understanding people's story and really getting down to the nitty gritty. And, you know, then you know, once one person comes out, someone else will come out, someone will know I can get through this. Uh, so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to have this kind of chain reaction where we want more of the youth to go, you know what, I'm struggling, but you know, I know there is a support system there. So hopefully that, there'll be obviously the cakes and cafe stuff, which is where I'll be, hopefully, <laughs> uh, munching more of that, and hopefully I'll get to sort you out as well to keep. Zakhla, brother, the almighty bless you. And great work you are doing. Tikhan uh, Rahman, um, Secretary Moral Upbringing of the Hamdi Muslim Youth Association UK. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's very important though, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I mean this, this aspect that he was talking about, I think it's very important about uh, his position not being... Uh, being perceived as as a police or somebody who's watching over you, yeah. uh, but um, he came over very approachable. Um, somebody you can you can easily go up to and talk to, in a casual manner, and I think that's very important uh, for the task that he's undertaking. And I think uh, he must be doing very well. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. No, mm. uh, you know, as I was mentioning as well, um, you know, the the hub that they do host uh, at the annual annual gathering as well of the MD Muslim Youth Association y- you know when you when the young youth members do walk in you know they they feel very comfortable they mm-hmm. they want to discuss some of the problems and they'll they'll uh, ca- they'll do it um, because it's such a relaxed environment it's it's uh, you know the, his team uh, members are very much approachable as well that you know you do want to uh, discuss the you know these key issues um, uh, so you know great great work they are doing yeah. and I, I guess uh, listening to the earlier caller, callers as well when they were talking about loneliness and I guess uh, I'll just wrap it up with a little Islamic perspective on this as well um, you know Leslie uh, our caller she was talking about loneliness and how um, you know a lot of parents really or or uh, grandparents they are in care homes and they've got no one to talk to and you know there's initiatives now that if you you can volunteer and call them for one hour once a week um, you know they'll be looking forward to that but if you look at if you were to go to Muslim countries now you know you'd see that children they're looking after their parents and they think of it as a duty to look after their grandparents that you know um and, and you find there's less care homes there and the reason for that is because this is is this is in line with the islamic teachings as well and islam 
lays a great emphasis that you know you should look after your parents um just as they looked after you um and you know if you look at the life of the holy prophet peace be upon him at various uh, uh occasions you know once the a companion approached the holy prophet peace be upon him and he said that he also wished to join jihad um but the holy prophet peace be upon him reply said that look after your mother that is your jihad for you look after your parents that will be your jihad for you so we find from these narrations that you know looking after our parents that this itself is a great cause and this is in line with what islam says as well um and i'll just read this verse out of the holy quran which not only highlights um you know that we should look after your parents but also as a society we have a huge role so the holy quran it says in chapter 17 verse 24 to 25 the name of allah the gracious the merciful thy lord has commanded that worship none but him and show kindness to parents if one of them or both of them attain old age with thee never say unto them any words expressive of disgust nor reproach them but always oppress them address them with excellent speech and lower to them the wing of humility out of tenderness and say may my lord have mercy on them even as even on them even as they nourished me when i was a little child so if contemporary society learns the lesson from those injunctions many problems which it faces today which present we which represent a blemish on an advanced society would cease to exist and no elderly homes or homes for the aged aged would be needed except for some aged people who unfortunately have no close relatives to look after them but in an islamic society the love between parents and children is so repeatedly emphasized that it is impossible for a child to abandon his or her parents when they grow Uh, old for the sake of his or her own, own pleasures and loneliness is most severe for older people and in a narration highlighted uh, by the in a, in a narration of the holy prophet peace be upon him highlights uh, taking of aged parents as an integral part of muslim faith and one of his uh, one of his holy wo- holy prophet peace be upon him saying was that unlucky is the man whose parents live to old age and he fails to earn paradise even then so meaning that the service of one's parents particularly when they reach old age attracts the grace and favor of god therefore a person to whom is afforded the opportunity of serving his parents and who avails himself of the opportunity to fulfill his bond to become confirmed in righteous ways a recipient of the grace of god uh, so with that uh, we'll conclude this uh, islamic perspective and i'll hand the mic over to brother billy to start us off with the second segment yeah thank you very much uh, imam tokeer uh, for that um, the second segment uh, the heading and the subject that we're discussing is how to be happy habits for happier life so this is something that caught our eye it was uh, reported in the website prevention uh, and uh, it says basically that um, uh, it uh, be- becomes paramount to acknowledge that happiness is a way of being or thinking as opposed to being an end goal 
Hence, it is intrinsic to recognize and understand the power and sway that the mental state of our mind can have on us too. For this, it is imperative to acknowledge the science behind happiness. And uh, Ronald Siegel, uh, in uh, his piece on what physical changes occur when I'm happy, Ronald Siegel says, and I quote, when people feel happy, they often feel physical sensations, a rush of passion, a flutter of joy that correspond to brain signals sent to nerves in the heart, circulatory system, skin, and muscles. These physical sensations are accompanied by chemical changes in the brain, which are interpreted as pleasurable. Uh, serotonin is uh, a neurotransmitter involved in many bodily functions, but in the brain, it helps to regulate mood and therefore is integral to an overarching sense of well-being. Increased levels of serotonin enhance feelings of confidence and belonging. A conscious and active contribution can be made to live better, healthier lives, and this, in turn, can facilitate a natural increase in the production of higher levels of serotonin, such as eating healthy, uh, regularly exercising, and spending time outdoors, especially when we have longer and brighter days with loved ones, and making a conscious effort to practice gratitude in our lives. Mm. Now, while happiness may look different to everybody, there are a number of changes and habits, uh, big and small, that can lead you to a more joyful path. So this is uh, something I'm reading from uh, the website. And it uh, again quotes um, uh, another expert, Judy Ho, a clinical neuropsychologist uh, in Manhattan Beach, uh, California. Uh, now, uh, Judy says that happiness, and this is a quote from her, is not about the absence of negative emotion and the abundance of positive ones. It is about pursuing a life of meaning and purpose and living in accordance with your values. And when you do this, you will inevitably come across both highs and lows emotionally, but all lead to a deeper sense of joy." End of quote. Now, creating new habits and routines can be difficult. Uh, and uh, Joshua Hicks, uh, professor at the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences at the Texas uh, University, NM University, and now uh, she says, or he says, that um, uh, often simple lifestyle changes can have a profound influence on our mental health. Um, so that's uh, another clue as to how we can uh, uh, ward off uh, bad thoughts or bad feelings and enhance and uh, draw in happiness. There are several simple habits, uh, he, uh, Joshua explains, that will increase your levels of joy and fulfillment and help individuals lead a fuller, more content life. Uh, now we can talk more about that. I can explain more about that later on. Uh, but uh, at the moment, I'm, my lights on my screen tell me that uh, we've got our expert, Reverend Deborah Foreman, on the on the line. Uh, uh, she's from uh, St. Mary's Church in New Addington, South London, uh, and it is a pleasure to have her with us. Thank you for joining us on The Breakfast Show. Very good to be with you. 
Uh, we're talking about happiness and uh, habits for a happy life. Uh, what mm-hmm. is the Christian perspective on happiness? That's really interesting. I mean, I think um, so. The concept of happiness is, is in itself an interesting one. The one point in the scriptures where, which comes to me, is the Beatitudes. So things like blessed are the poor in spirit, yes. and the word that's used for blessed there could equally be used to say happy. Um, but in a sense, perhaps one should think about it as being that which brings blessings. So being poor in spirit, so knowing your need of God. Um, hunger and thirsting after righteousness um, and um, yes, blessed are those who mm-hmm. mourn, they will be comforted um, yes, those, those are the aspects that I think um, one could reflect upon so it's not about um, you know, wandering around with a, with a broad smile on your face all the time it's more about the, um, the quality of the life that you lead and, and what I would say is key is um, that relationship, our relationship with Jesus, um, and our knowing ourselves to be loved of God, um, and knowing that whatever we do, you know, we we get we get things wrong, and we we come with seeking forgiveness, and that is 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 there for us. Um, but we, whatever God loves us, whatever mm. we are, yeah, mm-hmm. we can't do anything to make God love us more, as it were. We yeah. can't do anything to make God love us less. So, so would you say it's not just about the quality of life, but it's about contentment in what you have, and the I life, mean, the life you're leading? Yes, I mean it's not about um, having material possessions in abundance. Um, now, it's all very well for me to say that in mm. Western context, um, because I live in a very comfortable vicarage and so on. Um, but I have seen joy in other parts of the world, um, which certainly is not dependent on um, material possessions, but on quality of relationship with the, with God and with each other. Mm. Would you say that uh, Christian living uh, is something that promotes happiness and is significant in attaining happiness? I I would I would say yes in the sense that those, those values and, and that gift of being thankful for what one has and thanking God for what one has. Um, but again, it, it's much deeper than that. It's much more about relationships and relationships we have with each other, which are um, fundamentally underpinned by the values which are inculcated in us through relationship with Jesus. Uh-huh. And um, uh, what kind of things do you think, uh, if adopted, that is found in Christian living, would actually draw in happiness? Um, I think care for those around us, care for the poor, care for the vulnerable, care for the sick. Um, It's interesting, often if if one goes just uh, anecdotally really, if you go to visit somebody um, who's sick, for example, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you come away much more blessed than the blessing that you have taken with you. Right. Um, yeah, and that's, okay. that's my experience in pastoral ministry. Always, always, always. Uh huh. So uh, you feel happier 
when you've done something like that. Is that what you're saying? More content as to what I, you've contributed to another person who is I suffering? I don't know about content. It's more than that. I feel that I've received a blessing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and and I, was, I was making that uh, connection between blessing and happiness. Yeah. So, yes. Okay. Uh, Would you say that happiness is something that is promised uh, in the Bible to those who believe? Um, I think joy and blessing are promised. Uh Uh And and biblically, one can look at, for example, in the Incarnation, the language around the Incarnation is about Mm. rejoicing and joy. Mm. Okay, that's very interesting. My colleague is with me. Um, is it all right if he asks a couple of questions as well? Yes, of course. Okay, yes. thank you much, Reverend. Uh, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Reverend Deborah, uh, a <laughs> regular contributor to Voice of Islam. I think there's uh, just one question from my side as we are um, sort of running uh, short on time as well. I wanted to ask you, Reverend, what is the biblical perspective on happiness and suffering? Yes, and that, the question of suffering is the $1,000 question. It's the question that people come up with more frequently than anything else. Why does the God of love allow suffering? Um, but what I would say is that um, it is. it seems to me clear from the biblical evidence that whether it's suffering, God is with us in the midst of it, not looking on from outside and saying, ha-ha, um, or just get on with it, but, but actually with us. And I think that, again, comes through our relationship uh, with with Jesus, with God. Um, and I think, I mean, if you look at the book of Job, that's obviously in the Hebrew Scriptures, um, there isn't an answer to the question of suffering. Um but we believe that God is there with us. Um, and the question of happiness, um, I think that, again, if if we espouse the values and the teachings of Jesus, then that will bring us happiness. And Jesus shows through his life um, that there is a bias for the poor, for the marginalized and what i would call also radical inclusion it's very interesting um that uh, in the healing miracles for example um in the time of jesus very often illness meant that people were excluded from community and from society and when jesus heals them he is bringing them back into the ambit of society and that's very wonderful and that gives that message of um what i would call radical inclusion Great. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Reverend Deborah Foreman, Reverend of St. Mary's Church in New uh, Addington, South London. Thank you so much for joining us this morning and contributing. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 0208687788. That's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us. Well, so, a very important discussion. And uh, here, uh, Brother Billy, I wanted to read a short uh, piece. And uh, this is from uh, Lewis of Granada, and he was Spain's most popular spiritual writer in the 16th century, and he was constantly in demand wherever as a preacher. And his books have been translated into 25 languages. Um, and uh, I just wanted to read 
uh, a few points off what he's written, his viewpoint on true happiness. Mm-hmm. So he says that having seen how wretched and deceitful is the happiness of this world, it remains for us to consider that true happiness can be found only in God. And if worldly men understood this world, they would not pursue mandate pleasures as they do. And no creature can enjoy a perfect happiness until it attains its ultimate end. That is the last perfection that is due to due to it according to its nature. Until it arrives at its at this state, it is necessarily restless and discontent, as is anyone who feels a need for which he is he yet lacks. Now what is the ultimate end of man? the possession of which constitutes his complete happiness. Undoubtedly, it is God, who is man's first beginning and last end. And moreover, if God alone is man's last end and true happiness, it is impossible for man to find true happiness outside of God. As the glove is made for the hand and the scrapard for the sword, and they serve for no other purpose, than for which they were made. So the human heart, created as it is for God, cannot find rest in anything outside of God. In Him alone is it content, and without Him it is poor and needy. And in order that you may understand this truth more clearly, consider the needle of a compass. The needle has been touched with the magnet, and as a result it always points to the north. Observe how restless this needle is and how it flutates until it points to the north. Once this is done, the needle stops and remains fixed. So also God created man with a natural inclination to him, and as long as man is separated from God, he remains restless. And even though he possesses all the treasures of the world, but once he has turned to God, he finds repose, as does the needle when it turns to, turns north. For in God, man finds all his rest. Hence, he alone is happy who possess God, and he will be the closer. He will be the closer to, uh, to the true beatitude, who is closer to God. They are the more happy, and although the world does not understand their happiness. Such a beautiful uh, point, you know, he's mentioned that uh, just as the purpose of a glove <laughs> is that, you know, it cannot it, it, it cannot uh, do anything else but to, you know, to uh, then be, you know, service purpose. Similarly, mm. the heart was created by God himself and uh, ultimately um, the heart will be restless until it finds true pleasure and peace in God. And this is what we find from the teachings of the Holy Quran as well. When we study the Holy Quran, you know, when, uh, especially when we go to mosques and in our domes within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the writing is written, Allah bizikrillah that my that truly it is the remembrance of God that hearts find comfort. Um, and and this is what we find even from the writings of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him as well. He emphasizes that, you know, Allah the Almighty has created you. So ultimately, everything else is in vain and 
this is uh, the true purpose of man that you know we must incline towards god we must remember him because if we start to go towards any other vain pursuits it will only uh, lead to more restlessness more anxiety more depression so ultimately um you know if we find god then we have attained uh, that true pleasure so i th- i think that with that um, we can end the islamic perspective and now hand the mic over to you to conclude the show Uh, just for my benefit, who's the that quote was very inspiring. Who's it by? So this this is by um, Lewis of Granada, and uh, he was Spain's most uh, popular and spiritual writer of the 16th century. Really? Okay, yeah. I haven't come across him, but what he's saying is uh, something full of wisdom. Especially, especially the compass part, yes, right? Yeah, I found that very inspiring. Yeah. Yes. Uh, brilliant! Uh, I think it's a brilliant find, and uh, that's what we do. But that's what we have you for. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for that. That's uh, been uh, very, very inspiring. Um, we can come to a conclusion as far as this broadcast is concerned. Now, Imam Tokir. Yes. Yes. Um, so that leaves us to uh, thank those people who have contributed to the show. There's been a, a group of people who have been involved, and they all deserve our gratitude. Our producer, in particular, Nergis Nasser, and she ran a team of uh, uh, a wonderful team of uh, of uh, researchers, and they included Neha Latif, uh, Basma, Maha Ishtar, Yusra Khan, and Izaz Khan. So thank you to all of them. Uh, Muhammad Shafiq was uh, our engineer, and uh, he worked effortlessly, uh, expertly, and quietly, and made sure that everything ran uh, smoothly as far as um, the technical side of this thing is concerned. So certainly, uh, big thanks uh, to him. Uh, may Allah bless him for uh, what he has been able to contribute uh, for the show. Uh, and then uh, we mustn't forget. Uh, our uh, experts who came uh, especially to uh, lend their expertise to uh, the two topics that we were discussing uh, the first topic that we discussed was about s- uh, social isolation and loneliness and how this is linked to increase risk of all cause mortality and in order to understand that better uh, we were joined by Leslie Carter from age concern she is a clinical lead professional and practice um, in the health influencing division at AGUK um, and we were also joined uh, when we were looking at uh, this particular uh, topic by Olivia Field Olivia Field is the head of policy and loneliness expert at the Red Cross and then uh, we had uh, our own uh, no worries <laughs> yes the very approachable uh, person who is in charge of uh, moral upbringing uh, in the among the youth of the community I think is do, must be doing a very wonderful work uh, the way that he was able to uh, lend his expertise to us I think uh, very much illustrated that um, so he also was able to help us to try and understand these this aspect of loneliness and social isolation and for our second topic we had um, uh, Reverend Deborah Foreman uh, she's a regular contributor I understand 
for the uh, to the voice of Islam, and she uh, actually uh, was able to uh, give us a Christian perspective about happiness and uh, uh, shed more light on this particular item that we were discussing, which is how to be happy, happy habits for a happier life. So that was the second of our main topics, um, and. Um, uh, we will be uh, uh, coming back again uh, on Friday. Um, this particular team, Toki, Mr. Imam Toki, and myself. But the Voice of Islam will be broadcasting the um, uh, breakfast show every day from seven to nine, Monday to Friday. So until uh, next time, it's Alaikum from me and Imam Toki. Here in a few seconds is the news. Alaikum.